But, you know, isn't that truthful, though? Because haven't you noticed that really complaining seems to be the most popular form of expression these days? Right? Husbands complain about wives, except I never do that. <laughs> wives complain about their husbands. Uh, parents complain about their children. Children complain about their parents. Politicians complain about the other party uh, and their lack of confidence and lack of integrity. Uh, people in general complain about the economy and the weather and the, the price of gas and on and on and on. And the fact is we all just complain way too much. And before you ask whether I'm complaining about complaining, the answer is no, I'm just making an observation, I think. But, but you know, truthfully, either way, uh, as you and I read through the Psalms, you know, I don't see a whole lot of complaining. I see a whole lot of rejoicing, a whole lot of rejoicing, uh, particularly in Psalm 20 that we looked at last week and in Psalm 21 that we're going to look at today. David is expressing gratitude for all that God has done even when life hasn't been easy. I mean, had David faced difficult days? Yes, we, we've talked about them. Were there still problems for him to deal with when he wrote this? Yes. But in Psalm 21, David finds joy in God's strength and not in his own. And he rejoices in the many times that God had delivered him. And he's grateful because he tells us that God had given him his heart's desire. So those of you that have your Bibles... You want to turn to Psalm 21, beginning in verse 1. And the superscription reads, To the choir master, a psalm of David. And David writes, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. And if you remember, that means stop and think about what we've just said. For you meet... And with rich blessings, you set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through that steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows be exalted, O Lord, in your strength, and we will sing and praise your power. Amen. So, you know, our psalm today, when, you're, uh, when we're looking at it together, can be kind of easily divided into two major sections. Uh, the first, in, in verses 1 to 6, consists of a, a thanksgiving for victory. And the second, in, in verses 7 to 13, is a display of confidence that God will continue to bestow his blessings. And really, that's a perfect text for us to go into on this Thanksgiving week, right? Because believe it or not, Thanksgiving's almost here again. Like, where did this year go? But Thanksgiving is almost here again, so it's a great time uh, to stop in the midst of all the things that uh, compel us to complain and ask ourselves what Thanksgiving Day means to us 
and just exactly what it is that we're thankful for. Now, for myself, as I said with the kids, you know, I love all of the, uh, the food and the fellowship and the fun times, and I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a part, a vital part of all of your festivities too, uh, unless you don't come here, and then I, I, can't, I can't guarantee how good your Thanksgiving is going to be. But, but for all of us as a people of God, as a sacred assembly of believers, even more important than all of those things, even more important than all of those other things, is the opportunity that we're going to have to pause and to remember the real meaning of the day, which is a heartfelt gratitude to God. Gratitude in that same spirit as King David and in the same manner uh, as our beleaguered pilgrim ancestors who, in spite of all that they faced, could pray in the words of today's song, Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Because, you know, when we get together with our Uh, with our families this Thursday to give thanks, we carry out a tradition that's older than the founding of this nation and has a direct link with this church. In fact, we have a a Mayflower pilgrim descendant right back there, your council president, Carolyn Amos. Uh, Because don't forget, our congregational denomination came to America on the Mayflower. We're the pilgrim church. Uh, And our thanksgiving stems from the founding of the Plymouth Colony in 1620 by those pilgrims. Uh, by those early settlers who left the old world and came to the new one so that they could worship God according to their own consciences. And and so they could establish at that Plymouth colony a Christian fellowship similar to the description of the early church. The one that had been formed by the men and the women who had faithfully gathered around Jesus himself in the first century. Uh, And these early congregationalists, uh, like we do, advocated a return to the simplicity and authenticity that they believe is described in the New Testament. And, you know, that movement has flourished in North America, you know, from then for about the next 300 years. But it was a rough beginning. Probably every school child knows uh, the story of the Mayflower Pilgrims in that first year of sickness and of scarcity, in which half of their number uh, that came here died. Uh, Because remember, you know, when they got here, they didn't have you know, private homes. Uh, They didn't have a government agency to help them. They didn't have any means of transportation besides their two legs. Uh, The only food that they had came from the sea or the forest, and they had to go get it for themselves. Had no money, uh, had no place to spend it if they did have any. They had no amusements other than they made for themselves. They had no means of communication with their families back home in England. Uh, And and of course, they had no Social Security or Medicare, right? (laughs) So, but with all of that lack, with all of their lack, they did have four of the greatest human assets that God can bestow. They had initiative, they had courage, they had a willingness to work, and they had a boundless faith in God. Faith in God that convinced them that through the steadfast love of the Most High that they wouldn't be moved. Because in spite of everything that knocked them down, they got right back up and they never forgot to be thankful. They never forgot that they had come to these shores to shake off the tarnished glory of the earthly king of England and to align themselves and to humble themselves under the reign of the king of kings that... David so clearly foreshadows for us today in Psalm 21.
But we're going to get back to that, so hold on to that thought for a minute. But to stick with the pilgrims, if you remember, in 1621, when the Lord blessed their labors and rewarded them with a bountiful harvest, the pilgrims, these religious ancestors of our congregational faith, launched a custom of setting aside a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God, a day to give praise to God and thanks to God, and to celebrate His bounty with a religious observance combining prayer and feasting and rest. And, you know, to the minds of these early settlers, this wasn't a party. But rather, it was a joyous outpouring of gratitude to the Heavenly Father and an expression of our Christian faith. And, you know, the holiday didn't stop there. Years later, in 1789, when President George Washington proclaimed November 26th as a national day of thanksgiving to the Lord, uh, he did it partly in response to God's granting our independence from Britain, uh, and, and partly in, uh, in fact that the, the states gathered together to form the Union. But I want to read to you, uh, as I do every Thanksgiving, just a little portion of that, because I want you to see the strong uh, and absolute acknowledgement of our founding fathers' faith in God and of our nation's dependence on Him. So just listen real quickly to the... This is President George Washington's first Thanksgiving proclamation. This is what he wrote. By the President of the United States of America, a proclamation... As whereas is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore His protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress, imagine that happening ever again, right? <laughs> whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. You know, that almost sounds strange today in a time when, when powerful forces seem to be at work in this nation to strip us of every remnant of the fact that we are one nation under God. What an incredible time that must have been to live in, in that proclamation. But you know, years later in 1863, Abraham Lincoln revived that tradition uh, revived that national tradition. And finally, in 1941, the United States Congress decreed the fourth Thursday in November to be a day of Thanksgiving that we celebrate now. And I wanted to share that with you because I think it's important to understand not only our congregational connection here, but our nation's godly heritage. And, you know, as important as all of that history is, though, as much as I, I love having a time like Thursday when we can stop and give thanks collectively what I really want us to talk about in the little bit of time that we have left is the fact that as a nation and as individuals, we should never be guilty of thanking God just one day a year. Because we have all been blessed materially and spiritually far beyond our ability to deserve. So much so that just like I told the kids, every day should be Thanksgiving Day for the believer. Every single day. Whether, whether it's a day that we would call a good day or a day that we would call a bad day. Every single day we should be thanking God, not just for the material, uh, tangible things in life, but for the gift of eternal life, the gift of eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. Because, you know, we have the option to choose what we focus on, right? Will it be only on the difficulties of life or will it be on the goodness of God that I see all around me? I mean, should I complain or should I praise him? Should I worship him instead? 
and thank him and marvel at who he is and how much he cares for us. Uh, and God help us, brothers and sisters, if we ever stop being amazed by the incredible God that we serve. And you know, and our psalm today points to that, as I hinted at a few minutes ago, because Psalm 21 is one of the royal psalms. There's about 10 of them that are categorized that way, categorized as royal psalms. And they are uh, called that because they are about, on a human level, the Davidic kingdom, the Davidic monarchy. But there's also a divine and messianic element to them. You know, since ancient Israel was a type of heavenly kingdom, and since King David was a type of King Jesus, so then the royal psalms, they have this element that applies not just to David and not just to his geographic kingdom, but to the kingdom of heaven and to the reign of Jesus Christ. So when David starts out writing these, he's, he intends himself in the description, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the language of the Psalms, it, it transcends David's situation and finds its fulfillment in the triumph and the victory of our Lord. You probably caught on to that when we were reading it, because uh, some of those expressions can't possibly be just about David, right? Like when he talks about length of days for eternity, uh, the greatness and the glory of his salvation, uh, the splendor and majesty and blessedness. Uh, you know, David was a great king, but he wasn't that great, right? Uh, he was far from perfect, right? And remember, he was a murderer. He was a liar. He was an adulterer. But through God's grace and power, he became something greater, uh, something that I believe he never fully understood this side of heaven. Because uh, remember, David's life wasn't all royal banquets and victory parades, right? Just like we do, he had times of profound sadness. He had times of profound sadness. But in God's providence, he used those times to shape David and by extension to leave us an example all of these centuries later. You know, that's what God does. He takes ordinary men and women in the ordinary circumstances of life, uh, circumstances that, uh, that we all complain and, and grumble about, and he uses them for our own good and our growth into spiritual maturity. Right? You know, it's kind of like uh, the, uh, the man in Phoenix that I read about who he calls his son in New York on the day before Thanksgiving, and he says, you know, son, I hate to bother you, but I have to tell you that uh, your mother and I are separated right now. And the, the son, of course, can't believe it. He screams into the phone, Pops, what are, what are you talking about? Are you serious? You and Mom are, are really separated? But the father interrupts him and says, Son, I, I promise you, as of this very moment, your mother and I are separated, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. So you call your sister in Chicago, and you be the one to tell her. So frantic, the, the son calls the father, and, and immediately, uh, rather, the sister is called... The brother and sister talk for a few minutes. Uh, they reminisce about how things were when they all used to be around the table together and, and decide that it's up to them to figure out how to keep this family together. So they make a plan. Hang up the phone. The girl immediately calls her dad in Phoenix and he, he, she hears him pick up the receiver, but even before he can say a word, she screams at her father, you two are not getting separated at the holidays. I just talked to my brother. We'll both be there on the first flight tomorrow, and she hangs up the phone. The father puts down the receiver and calls out to his wife, who's intentionally been sitting in the next room, and says, Okay, honey, you can come back in here now. It's all arranged. They're coming for Thanksgiving, and they're paying their own way. <laughs> Those kids got more than they bargained for, didn't they? 
<laughs> they're coming and they're paying their own way. But you know, just like they got more than they bargained for, so did David. And the truth is, so do we. So do we, because, you know, we see today in today's psalm that the Lord God makes good on his promise to help David and to grant him his heart's desire as only he can do. And, you know, the blessings that he gives always exceed our requests and always satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts beyond our ability to expect. You know, when David asked for help, the Lord gave him joy instead. Uh, When David asked for support from Zion, the Lord gave him victory and a crown of gold. When the king asked for success, the Lord gave him the desires of his heart. You see, every request from his lips was answered, maybe not precisely the way that he asked, but infinitely better than he could have hoped. And the same is true for us. You know, we may pray for a new job, but the Lord might give you a new life, eternal life. We might pray for success in our personal battles, and instead the Lord is going to give us the joy of his presence. You know, we may pray for healing of our physical body, but instead the Lord would give us redemption and reconciliation and the promise of a resurrection so that our prayers for survival can be turned into praise for salvation. And our our maintenance prayers, you know, those ones that we go through just to, to make it through the day, those prayers that we just hang on to to make it are answered by God in the light of his eternal glory and grace, just like Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. He wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to him as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Isn't that a glorious picture of our Lord Jesus? You know, this is, this is not baby Jesus, meek and mild. This is our glorious, conquering king. Did, did you ever just stop and be amazed at the person of Jesus Christ? You know, I think sometimes we see Uh, So many printed images of him on on Facebook and and in the sermon slides that we put up here. We forget just how incredibly awesome he really is. Listen to this description in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. 
He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. So what an incredible imagery to go into Thanksgiving with. To know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus created all things and has existed before all things were created. And that Jesus died on the cross to bring, to bring peace and to reconcile all things through him. So can you possibly uh, read or hear those scriptures, hear those words and not be thankful? Right? It's impossible. Uh, and not uh, just be filled with thanksgiving but be filled with a thankful living that stifles complaints and silences critics uh, and instead puts to use all the talents that God has bestowed on us for his glory and for the extension of his kingdom. So we need to ask ourselves, are you and I actively acknowledging who God is and how he's revealed himself to us in the person of Christ? And are we as individuals and as a congregation grateful for his loving care and his offer of salvation? Is our life characterized by thanksgiving and praise to God? Or do we tend to complain and to question and to doubt God? Because, you know, the answer to those things really makes a big difference in day-to-day living. Because everything that we do and everything that we are, everything in our lives rises and falls on our perception of just who God is and how much He cares for us. So, you know, it's, it's imperative that we never forget who we're serving that we never forget, as the second half of Psalm 21 reminds us, nothing and no one can defeat us when Christ is our defender. And that he's already come and overcome the world and the flesh and the devil. So that though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. And I don't know about you, but those words are comforting to me. I mean, isn't it exhausting being upset and worried all the time? Truthfully. And it happens because we don't have a big enough view of who our God is or understand how much he cares for us. I mean, honestly, isn't life more enjoyable when we acknowledge who God is and how good he is? We're serving the Lord, the living God who makes available to us his love through his own dear son. So this Thanksgiving, let's agree together to enlarge our view of God. Don't focus on what you don't have or on what you wish was different. But focus on our awesome God and his goodness and be thankful. And from the depths of that thanksgiving, then don't just stop there. But live out the Christian life. It needs to be lived out so we can have an attitude of joy and gratitude in the spirit for all that Christ has done for us. You know, because if we've been saved, if we have experienced the touch of our Lord, uh, it, it should show in the way we express ourselves. If the Holy Spirit has truly gotten a hold on us people are going to know it they'll know it by the smile on our face and the words of praise and thanksgiving in our lips you know if we truly believe that the coming of christ has made a difference in our destiny people are going to see it and they'll see that gratitude and that joy flowing out of our lives Uh, and it should overflow in our worship here too so that we can pray with david be exalted O lord in your strength we will sing and praise your power and your great salvation in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, as we approach this Thanksgiving holiday, we ask, Lord, you would help us to be uh, less complaining and more grateful, that you would help us, Lord, to focus on all that you've done for us, not just uh, materially, but spiritually, 
And Father, open our hearts and minds this Thanksgiving to uh, just receive from you all that you have for us and to return glory back to your name because we ask it through Jesus Christ. Amen.